Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. It's Angela. I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled. And today's guest, Rob Schink, who I've known for 30 years or something. <laughs> I'm like telling our age. We went to high school together, y'all. And he's like a badass attorney, like helping creative professionals out. So Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Angela. Mountain Julia represent. Whoop, whoop. Okay. I was class of 97. I think you were class of 96, maybe. Yes. Yes. It was so funny. Yesterday I was going through my, all my Facebook groups with one of my team members and there, did you know, there's like a Facebook group for like Mount Juliet people that like graduated like in the nineties. <laughs> I, I knew that I, I was under the impression that we had just one for our class 96. I did not realize there was a nineties class, which I'm sure is probably way crazier. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need to be in those groups. I don't think, because if I don't contribute anything, like I don't really need to be in a group. Um, but yeah, we've had some really sharp people like come out of Mount Juliet, which y'all was the country back then. It's not the country anymore. There's like malls and it's crazy, but anyway, okay. Everybody listening today. Thank you so much for being here. We're super excited. If you're a creative, if you're in, in the event industry, the wedding industry, if you do anything creative or sell anything creative online, you're going to want to listen today because I will tell you from my experience and you don't know what you don't know. I've been drugged to court a few times over legal battles, not because of me, just because I was subpoenaed because of crazy clients or crazy situations. And it's not fun when your legal stuff and your contract is not like buttoned up. So that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. And then you add the pandemic to this mess where it's like, guess what? We've never been through this before as, as a creative person who does like all these business and works with all these businesses and does all these events like every single person when the t pandemic started, they were kind of like deer in headlights. Like we have to, as our legal counsel, we'll get back to you kind of thing. So a lot of stuff has changed ever since the pandemic. But before we jump in and talk about legal stuff, Rob, I do want you to let everyone know that's listening, let them know a little bit about you and like what in like, we know you grew up in Mount Juliet in the country, <laughs> but after that, like, how did you decide to become an attorney? Like what made you want to get into law? And then how did you decide what was the, why did you want to help and serve creatives? Cause there's so many different like avenues of law that you can go in. Let's, let's start from the beginning. So it, when we were rocking and rolling, driving up and down Mountain Juliet Road, I wanted to be a rock star, which that skill set was, you know, yeah, performing. <laughs> and we were kind of political. So there's a little bit of an argument. And so performance and argument is kind of my natural skill set. And so after about five or six years of trying to make, you know, make that happen, 
I couldn't. So we're playing, you know, Rich and Amy's Roadhouse, you know, in 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 BFI or whatever, and in front of nobody. So I'm like, well, what can I do now? And so I'd already graduated UT and was like, okay, well, UT University of Tennessee for the not University of Texas. Go Vols. Exactly. And so I was like, okay, what can I do? And so I wanted to take those skills and apply them uh, to the law. So that's the kind of that was my natural tendency was to be able to speak talk to people, analyze things, and essentially to perform. So did that. And then I graduated uh, from Georgia State here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm, I'm talking to you from in 2008. And I started the my legal career as a business litigation attorney, meaning somebody that um, defends people or brings suit for breach of contract on an international level. It was a, actually, uh, was a little tiny tadpole in a a French law firm is based in Paris. So I had to luckily was able to go kind of go to Europe a few times for, for legal matters, that kind of thing. And that was super fun. At that point in time, I was um, dating a wedding photographer and uh, reviewed her contract and um, found it to be lacking. And, you know, based on what I learned, fixed it up and became kind of known within the Atlanta wedding photography community. And then that grew into essentially the event industry and creative entrepreneurs as a whole. So over the past, you know, decade or so, I've been representing uh, event industry professionals, creatives in contract and litigation matters. And, and here I am today talking to you. And you uh, have a, a podcast too, right? I do. So last year, I, right, like not, not because of, it just happened to be coincidentally the same week as the pandemic really hit in March of of 2020, I started my YouTube channel and my podcast, which is just the Wedding Industry Law Podcast. And it's weekly, kind of like this, and you know, just different different topics every week we go into. So to the extent that somebody out there is listening and we don't talk about what you want us to talk about, maybe you can find it on my on my YouTube channel on the podcast. Absolutely. And we'll put it all in the show notes too, because here's the thing, you don't as as a just as an entrepreneur, you don't know you're doing anything wrong until you get a knock on the door and a letter handed to you that you have to sign for. And I'm like, what's this? And I read it and I'm like, I didn't, what? <laughs> it's like, so innocent. Just, what's this? I don't, I don't even right? know what to see. It was subpoena. Right. And like when, when this first started, I just built a house uh, right down the road from Mount Juliet. And there was a, like, no one even had my address, like Google earth, the, 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 the sign on the street hadn't even been put up. And so I don't even know how people got my address. And I drove up to my house one day, this was a long time ago. And there was something taped to my door and it was like a brand new door. And I'm like, why is someone putting tape on my brand new windows that had just been cleaned? Cause I cared about that back then. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> There's a way bigger problems. And I opened this thing up and it's like, you've been subpoenaed to testify in court and blah, blah, blah. Well, I grew up watching my dad in night court. So court doesn't like make my heart pound. Like it does a lot of people and like they sweat and they're like, Oh my God. And I was like, get up, tell the truth and just answer the freaking questions. Like it's not hard. But when you don't know what you don't know, that makes people very uncomfortable when you're not, when you don't feel like you're empowered with the right knowledge and the right information. And it's like, oh my God, I did something wrong. So you help protect people of that. And I'm also wondering too, even before COVID, 
since you started off like with photographers, because now I, I have another online company, we have a stock image company and photographers contribute their photos and license them to other people. And so even for people that are not in the wedding and event industry, I know with the influencer market and people needing photos, a lot of photos for content, again, every business, no matter what industry you're in, you need content and you need photos. And so some people know that you can go to the stock image websites and like download these images, but can you lend a little like ear of information to people who are like Googling and then they're using those Google images on their promotional, like if they're selling something, like, can you just tell us a little bit about that and how you shouldn't do that and why you shouldn't do that? <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the first thing is don't do that. Don't do uh, that. Yeah. So any, in, any, typically any photograph is going to be protected by what's called copyright. And the, it's usually the individual that snaps the photograph or paints it or makes the rap song, writes the lyrics, sings the poem. That's the individual typically that is the, the holder of the, the bundle of copyrights. And those rights include publication, um, uh, making derivative works, meaning like, well, I added an extra beat to the rap song or I added a smiley face to the picture. The copyright holder is the only one that typically has the right to do that. So it's a bundle of rights. And when someone uses a photograph or uses that picture without the permission of the copyright holder in some way, then that individual is likely going to be the defendant in a copyright infringement lawsuit. So just for the fact that you found something online doesn't mean that you can use it. And that includes Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want. So typically how it works is that the copyright holder will grant someone a license, meaning that that is the permission to use the photograph by whatever means is understood between the parties. So as you mentioned, there are kind of the clip art or the stock image websites and what you're doing when you go to one of those sites and you pay money or maybe you're paying a subscription fee is the copyright holders and that website have all agreed together. I'm, for the people listening, I'm putting my hands together. <laughs> anyway, so, okay, to show they're together. Anyway, so they're saying, okay, well, you know, we're going to grant a license, a, 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 just a license to use for websites or whatever the case may be of how you get it from that. that now, you couldn't, because of that license, go around and say, sell it to Hallmark for $50,000 or sell the image to Wheaties to be on the cover of Wheaties because you did not, the scope of the license typically isn't that broad. So from the standpoint of, Rob, can I use this image? First thing is, find out who has the copyright to it or who has the permission to grant you licenses and get the appropriate license before you use any image on your website, before you use any image in your marketing materials. That's the safest thing because what you're going to get is an email or a, a cease and desist letter from some attorney probably in Washington State for Getty Images or whatever it is that's saying you owe us a back uh, retroactive license of $5,000 or we're going to sue you for copyright infringement and get more. Yeah. And y'all, I learned the hard way because you don't know what you don't, you don't know. And so if you don't take anything other than this, 
don't Google and go to images and slide it over to your desktop and use it in any of your stuff. Okay. Like just don't do it. And at first I'm like, well, I'm this tiny little fish in this little country pond and they will find you. Okay. So, and the more you put out and the more consistent you are and the more people that follow you and find you through hashtags and stuff, like they will find you. And so there's even been times where with Pinterest that, and I don't know if you've done, if you've handled like any Pinterest cases, but I will have, we, we have an internship program. And so we have interns go on and pin things to some of our boards that inspire them or would inspire some of our clients. And then I'll get an email that says your pin's been removed. You do not have rights, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, if it's on F and Pinterest and I'm just pinning it, and like to show somebody like, why, why can't I do that? Like, I'm not yeah. using it for marketing purposes, but do you know why we get those emails? Like, what does that mean? The, the, there are essentially, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's almost unethical, but I understand where a professional photographer for Getty or for the Associated Press, they make their money by selling their images to, to journalists and to newspapers and to websites. Okay. So whenever you use that image, you're taking away from the, the value of that image. So I kind of get that. So what they do is they pay law firms and they pay tech wizards to essentially run programs that, that creepy crawl the internet. And as soon as, even if you're, even if Angela puts that, that photo up on our website for two seconds and brings it down, they've got a screen image of it and they, and they have that information because there's information embedded in the photograph itself. Now there's, possibly at this point ways to get around that but I'm not getting into that but at any rate that's how they're finding you and that's how they found you so quickly so when you do that and you don't have the right to do it they do have the right to sue you for copyright infringement so when you get that letter what they're doing is give us a little bit of money in exchange for us not suing you for that so that's how that happens now with Pinterest when you're adding the social media component to it it's a little bit more of a gray area because you know, if you're taking an image off the internet and putting it on Facebook or whatever, yes, but if the image was already on Pinterest or already in Facebook, then you're getting into a gray area that, you know, it's a fact by fact um, basis. But at the end of the day, just if, if, if you're using images to promote your business and you're using a lot of them, just either get a subscription to one of the, to, to Angela's company, to anybody's company where you're safe and you have a license to do it. If it's one or two, you're taking a risk. You maybe you won't get found. Maybe the robots, maybe Skynet won't get you. Maybe they will. That's the risk that you're running. Yeah. And so y'all, there's this thing on Google called like Google reverse lookup. Okay. And so my brother owns a PI company. And so he would find like these really quick people. And I had this guy catfishing me. And I said, I would do a podcast just about this catfish thing one day. It is so funny. And so I showed this picture to my brother and he runs it through Google reverse images. And he's like, Ange, that's an actor like that. You're being catfished. And I'm like, yeah, I felt, I felt like something was kind of funny. Like apparent this guy like wanted an event planned and then it like turned into something else. And then I'm like, basically at the end of the day, he's like, Hey, will you send me $6,000? And then I, you know, it's like, I'm not stupid, 
but then it's just funny to like run the pictures through this, but I didn't even know that existed. So y'all Google that because you can always run an image through the reverse thing. And there's a whole show called catfish, which is a whole other podcast that I didn't even know existed. I'm like, well, how do people have time for that stuff? <laughs> like, I don't know for uh, that. Because they make money on it. Like, I mean, like we have to, I have to go to seminars every year as an attorney and listen to the 30 minutes of like, okay. Cause I mean, this happens to attorneys too. Like you'll get an email be like, Hey, we've sent you this check. You need to send it back. And like, you know, of course it's the, all a scam. And I've been like, I mean, I'm not falling for it. I mean, it's 2021 at this point. So like, I, I get it, but like, there are some people that do, and usually they're the only, they're skew older. So it's making somebody money. Yeah. It's just, it's so sad. It's so sad. So we'll, we'll stop talking about images, but I feel like that is pertinent to anybody listening. What we've actually done after all that stuff is another company was born out of it. I'm like, okay, we'll just hire our own people. They'll be in-house. We own all of our images. We pay for it. We have a contract. And even though it's like some of these people, it's like, you know, we're friends, we're like bros, you know, we hang out. My business manager is like super, like we are following the process. And so everybody signs everything. There's no gray. And we started owning everything internally. And so everything that you see is owned by my company. And then we started another company out of it. That's good. And let me, let me, let me button this up before we move on, because this is super important is and, and that just reminded me of what you just said. So a lot of times your audience might not be doing the website work or the marketing work. You pay somebody to do that, okay? You have to make sure that the individual company or the entity that's doing that work, they're uh, abiding by copyright law and they're getting the appropriate licenses because even though you might not have been the one that puts on your website, your marketing team did it you're going to be the defendant. So there's two things. One, you have to make sure that the marketing team or the website developer, whoever it is, is getting the images and putting on your website, they have the permission. Number two is in your contract with them, and hopefully you have a contract with them. You need to look for the words indemnity and indemnify, meaning that they are going to step in and hold you harmless and pay any judgment to the extent that you are defended in a copyright infringement lawsuit, if that makes any sense. So that's the words that you want to look for in any contract that you have with any marketing team or website development team, because that happened to me. I didn't do it. The, the team that I had hired to, had done it. So, or allegedly. Oh my gosh. But we learn these things, right? Yeah. Like we learn the hard way. And then we go out every time something crazy happens. I'm like, okay, everything happens for a reason. God is teaching me this so I can go out and help other people. Don't be a dumbass like me <laughs> So I just make fun of myself, but you know, again, like we're constantly learning and running a business is freaking hard. It's like, how are we supposed to know all this stuff? Right. So exactly. just make sure that you have the appropriate contracts because that will save your butt in court sometimes. So moving on to a different type of contract, I know with the pandemic and COVID and things that have never happened really in our lifetime, as far as I know, um, it, it just, it, it has completely been a game changer for the wedding industry, the events industry, even though we don't do 250 plus events anymore, I'm still very heavily involved in the hospitality community on the consulting side. And then we still do some events. I mean, we had five outstanding events that we still haven't done. We're still under contract. And of course we'll do them, 
but I'm not planning and replanning and replanning and replanning. I'm like, we are going to wait until the health department in Nashville releases any of this paperwork stuff, because if I have to do paperwork one more time, I don't know how it is in Atlanta, but in Nashville, the numbers were so high. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, we had to fill up paperwork for any event that was over 10 people. I mean, what event hires a planner for 10 F and people come on. So, I mean, these, these events had 250 plus people, they wouldn't approve it. And so there was one event, it was another planner. It wasn't me who submitted paperwork. And by the way, you can only do it two weeks before the event. So could you imagine having all these people thinking they're coming to a, to a wedding or an event, and then the health department denies it. So the health department said, you can have 25 people. It's a five hour event. You can only, you have to do drink tickets, two drinks within five hours per person. And then you can't have a band, no dance floor. And I'm like, well, that's not going to (laughs) work for any of our clients. So we had to go to our clients and say, we just have to push this back until people are vaccinated or there is, there's too many people dying from this. Like your event can wait. So what I would, I can't wait to hear like what you have encountered over this whole pandemic thing and how many contracts you have probably revised and fixed and put lots of addendums. I think that's how you say it. (laughs) Like what, what can, what can people do now to really protect themselves from some type of a pandemic in the future? Great question. So I think that there are principally four primary things that you want to review and, and, and place into your contract and consider at least. The first one is understanding what it means. And you just laid this out perfectly. What does it mean for a wedding or an event to not be able to take place? And I, what I mean by that is sometimes Angela wants to show up. She got her mask on. She's got her, you know, she's got her uh, alcohol uh, hand sanitizer. So let's do this. The client says, no, I, I, I envisioned a wedding in which no one had masks on. We could eat at a buffet. I could have 200 people. And somewhere in between, there's a gray area. So then the, the this will depend on what jurisdiction you're in too. Because California has, a, 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 as far as I'm concerned, way more restrictive uh, things going on than, say, Nashville, Tennessee. So number one is, from the perspective of both the client and the vendor, come to an understanding as to what it means. Not just You can't just put pandemic in there. That is meaningless. You need to have, if a pandemic causes the government to require social distancing, masks, or whatever, and you come to an understanding as to what it means because there's going to come a point where perhaps it can go forward legally, but there's so many hoops that either the client doesn't want to or the vendor doesn't want to, but the other side does, and then you have a problem. So identifying what it means to not move forward with the event, really get in there, bullet points, okay? And make that make sure that it's clear to the client when you're signing them up, listen, I adhere to CDC guidelines. If the CDC guidelines say masks, you're putting masks on. Like, and that means the wedding is happening and y'all got masks on, right? That conversation needs to happen and it needs to be explicit in the contract. The next thing is this, no one knows what's gonna happen. I hope, like I'm getting my vaccination today or tomorrow morning, 
Okay. But who knows? That's that could last me three months. Talk to Dr. Fauci. I don't know because there could be variants, right? Or the vaccinations that we're getting might need 15 boosters, meaning that we don't know if we're out of the woods yet. We probably are, but who knows? So the concept is this. Instead of saying, well, we're going to like wipe our hands of this event because we can't go forward in the event that we can't go forward. So we've identified what it means to not go forward and now we can't. Instead of being like, well, what happens now? Like, do you, do we just terminate it? Do we, whatever? Obligate the parties to reschedule. You want to get full contract value as the wedding vendor, or at least I hope you do. Always be closing. You want to get full contract value out of it. So you want to make sure it's explicit that the parties are obligated to reschedule that event within a certain amount of time, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, or they're in breach of contract. Because what happens is the clients, and all too often this happens, the client wants out of the contract, yeah, okay, COVID happened, but they also broke up. And this is an excuse to get out of the contract. I've seen that, that more than what would be, you know, seems to me to be reasonable. So obligating the parties to reschedule, meaning you put in good faith efforts like, okay, well, I'll give you two or three dates in the next nine months or 12 months. We'll try to meet in the middle or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. That's extremely helpful because it takes you out of the gray no man's land of what happens next. We know what happens next. We got to reschedule because that's not the default situation in a force majeure event. The third thing is this, what happens to the money? So to the extent that the, that you've decided that this is, uh, the, the, the wedding can't go forward, the event can't go forward, um, we're going to reschedule. To the extent that we're going to reschedule, am I, am, when does the next payment come in or what happens to the money at that point? Okay. And even more important, Angela, is if the client decides not to reschedule or the client, you know, like forget this, or does it do a good faith effort to reschedule? You keep the money. Or mm -hmm. you have something where it's like, I get X amount of the money. Because that is the land that most people that are in litigation right now sit in terms of COVID litigation. Is how much money, if any, do I have to give back if we can't move forward, right? So get out of that problem area by saying, this is what I'm entitled to and why. And the fourth thing is this, make sure that that contract explicitly says, and again, this will be jurisdiction, jurisdiction, but luckily we live in this, we live in the South, at least you and I live in the South, where if you're mm -hmm. an adult and you contract, you, you live by those terms. You can't, you can't expect the judge to get you out of the terms, but make sure the client understands that they are the ones that are assuming the risk if the, if the contract can't go forward because of COVID. So even if you've done good faith efforts to reschedule all that, and they still went out, they're the ones that have assumed the risk. You're keeping the money to the extent that that's in your contract. So that's four primary things that I would consider any person that is in any event industry, whether you do a bar mitzvah, quinceanera, I don't care because COVID is not going away yet. And even if COVID does go away, at least you'll be protected if it's a tornado or hurricane, if it's, you know, alien invasion, whatever the case may be. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever see like an alien invasion. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, check your check. Like, I, I don't know what because when I worked when I worked at the um, 
when I first graduated, I worked at the French firm. I had to read crazy insurance agreements between like, maybe like, say like the French embassy in Atlanta yeah. and their contract with whatever, or, or of that nature. And it would be like anything that you could possibly think of, like civil war, um, you know, political terrorists. Like it's so crazy how many things are listed in this country. But anyway, I digress. So yeah, alien invasion. It's crazy. But I will say like, I want to talk more about where does the money go? Because clients that are not in the whole event world, they, they don't understand. And this is one reason why now, if we do events, 99% of the people that we actually do it for they're entrepreneurs, they own their own business. So they get it where we don't even have to have that conversation of, well, do I get my money back if we just decide not to have it? And, and we actually had that conversation with a few corporate clients when actually the pandemic started. And it's so funny because we thought the world was going to be shut down for like two weeks. Yeah, two and weeks. that's it. the other day I like pulled up a, an old vlog and I'm like, I, I vlog all the time, but I don't do anything with it. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. This time I did something. I'm like, okay, today was exactly a year from where the world shut down. And it's just like, let's see where we are now kind of thing. But we learn so much. If you are open to like learning and changing and pivoting, like it's not a bad thing. It like helps us grow more, at least from a business perspective. But we had clients that said, I just, I don't, we don't know. We, there's too many unknowns. We just, we don't want to do it. We don't want to move it. I'm like, that's fine. You're not going to get your money back. I just want you to understand that. I mean, every place that we talked to, that was the consensus because that money is holding business a date that they could have sold to someone else. And so, you know, I'm constantly having to educate people. It's like, we're not trying to be jerks, but that money is, is gone if you don't want to have it. And we had multiple people that just said, let's just cancel. We'll, we'll cut our ties. And we didn't really have too many problems with it. And then we had other people that said, well, can we get our money back for um, the food and beverage deposit so that we can take that and like build out a digital event? And I'm like, well, that really doesn't help the food and beverage department at that hotel. So no, it's not going to work like that. Mm -hmm. But it's just constantly educating people because they don't know what they don't know. And sometimes people get pissed and they get heated because they just don't understand. So we've had to learn, like, keep our cool and educate and state the facts and educate them. But I will say though, the people that have said, let's reschedule the venues and the hotels and places, they've been very accommodating and very gracious with the, the, the government and the CDC saying like, you cannot do this. You cannot do this. But guys, you have to remember, even though when you're planning an event or a wedding and it's fun and, and it's like an emotional thing behind the emotion is a business and people have to run a business. And it's not that like we're heartless or, or we don't care, but there has to be that business aspect. And when you don't have it in writing and the emotions take over, then it's just a, it's a hotter mess. It's a bigger mess. So that's why I, I'm, I'm like, what does the contract say? And then my team's like, well, the contract actually doesn't really address this. I'm like, okay, well, let's get on the, let's talk it through. Don't do it th through an email, like get on the phone, schedule a call and talk it through. So 
it may be able to be a win-win situation for both parties. You don't know. I would say that anecdotally, the fact that you pick up the phone and, and be Angela from Mountain Juliet and try to work for these problems probably did you well. I think that like, if, if you're saying that Rob, we, you know, we managed to do okay, except for maybe a couple spots, you're doing pretty good. And I would say that it comes back to that, like trying to meet somebody eye to eye, educate them, let them know, like, this is what the, you know, this is what's going on. I think that probably served you very well. Um, Cause I've got some clients that are like, well, I lost all my business because I sent out 15, you know, heated emails or blah, blah, blah. But yeah, no, no, that's, that's really good. Let me just say this. Let me throw the, let me throw a chair on top of this part of the conversation Yeah, is that I want to, I want to make sure that everybody out there understands that a contract or an event that can't go forward for reasons beyond the control of the parties and how the money is handled is separate and apart from how the money is handled if the event doesn't go forward for reasons within the party's control. So everybody out there is like, well, my my, uh, payment is non-refundable. It might be, but that doesn't, that's that typically, depending on what jurisdiction you're in, doesn't come into play if it's a pandemic. It comes into play if the bride is cheating on the groom or vice versa, okay? That's what the non-refundable portion is for. So I just want to make clear that best practices is to make sure that your contract addresses both circumstances at this point. And that because of COVID, it needs to address the, the cancellation for reasons beyond the control in greater, greater detail. So anyway. Yeah. And the other thing too that I will add is that almost everything that we decided, okay, we're going to move forward. We're going to reschedule. We asked for an addendum and we signed it, clients signed it, venues, vendors signed it. And I know some of my creative clients that are creative like me <laughs> and we're like, why do we need to do this? Like, well, it's just more like shit to do. But again, as a business owner and then being caught before completely off guard, like not knowing what you don't know, I'm like, listen, this is to protect you as much as it is to protect the venue or the vendor. So instead of having the mindset of contracts are, you know, so stuffy and like, we got to have it like, and it's like, well, as the client, like you're protected too. So like, that should be a good thing. I mean, right. I would say that by way of analogy, Angela, it's kind of like if you and your client are playing Monopoly and it's like, well, I landed on free parking and get $500. It's like, no, you don't. That's not how free parking works. The contract is when you flip the top of the board upside down and read the rules. Like this is what we've agreed. This is how we've agreed to play Monopoly. It doesn't say anything about getting $500 at free, if you land on free parking, it's just a free space that you land on. So in that way, the, the contract acts as just like this memorializes, or this is something that's better than our memories about what we can expect our interactions to be like and what we can expect our obligations towards each other moving towards this event. That's kind of the contract. So yeah, hopefully your contract isn't stuffy and you can understand it and read it, but that's basically what it's there for. It's the rules of the road. It memorializes the obligation so that, you know, you're not relying on your fault or memory. Like, no, you said that we were going to have, you know, 200 people and we were, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, yes, 
exactly right. It's really funny how, I mean, it's actually not funny, but looking back in, in some of the situations, how people somehow be, it's like they get amnesia and they forget that, oh, a year's gone by and you said this and we said this, and then you go back to the contracts. We have everything in the client's Dropbox and it's like, well, refer to Dropbox and it's, it's crazy to me how people interpret things differently. And so again, that's where you go back to the contract and say, well, this is what we agreed on. I'm sorry if you misinterpreted what was said, but this is where if you as a creative don't want to sit down and go through a contract with your client, then you have a team member do it for you, or you have someone I mean, we have learned again, the hard way when, when, when people say, well, I didn't know that I had to pay a percentage of that. And it's like, well, it's in your contract. And so we've added, so any feedback that we ever get where people are like complaining or there's like miscommunication or misunderstanding, I'm like, let's just put a little line and we're verbally going to say it it's in writing. I even make a video about it now. I'm like, this is what your contract means. And so I don't care how you learn. We are delivering the information to you and all those forms. If you choose not to listen or ask questions to clarify what the hell it means, that's on you. And I don't know what to tell you, but like, that's what the contract says. No, that's a, that's a smart way to do it. Sometimes I have clients that are like, well, I want them, I make them initial after every paragraph or yep. whatever, but typically, and again, it's, it's funny how states are different and regions are different, but typically in, a, in the Southern states, there's an automatic default duty to read. And if you, and if there's something, well, I didn't see that it said this, that's on you. Now there are some jurisdictions where depending on the size of the contract, if you're signing something that's 10 or 15 pages and something's in small font and it's not conspicuous, but it's material, then there are rules and applications of the law that would get you out of that contract. But by and large, in the wedding and event industry, you know, if you're dealing with a regular size contract, you're not, you're not having to deal with that rule of it having to be more conspicuous. But you're right. The safe thing to do is to educate the client, videos, conversations, do you have any questions about my contract? Let's address it now, like initial here. Those are all on the on a spectrum on the safer side. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, bottom line, guys, listen, just communicate, like be a good communicator. And if you don't understand something, you can always go to YouTube, listen to Rob's channel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or like ask somebody, and it's, it's worth its weight in gold to invest a little bit upfront on your, in your, for your contract, for your business, to make sure that you're doing the right thing because you never want to be caught off guard. Like it's super uncomfortable. I mean, there were nights where I didn't sleep because I'm like, did I really do something wrong? Or was it negligence on my part? Because I wasn't paying attention. Like what could I do better to make sure that or could I have done something differently to avoid this whole situation? And usually it is my freaking fault and just take accountability and learn from it and just don't do it again. So I have one more question for you since you've gotten into like YouTube and videos and we, we both like to do video and, and have YouTube channels, but I've, we've been working with a lot more clients now that, and everyone listening, we all are creating content. So for example, 
I'll hire a video crew to go and get B-roll of like Nashville or Cabo or wherever we're at for a client, for B-roll, for a client's videos for their content. So in the contract, and this recently came up, he's like, well, I own the B-roll, but I'm going to insert it. And because usually I'm going to get B-roll of like all of Nashville and then this part of Cabo, and then I'm going to, I'm going to use that. So I, I need you to initial that. Like, is that okay? I'm like, I don't really care. Like if you, if you use the skyline of Nashville in five different videos for content, like, I don't really care. But then a client actually asked me that, like, is that my B-roll? Like, can I take that B-roll and do what I want to do with it? Like, will I own the rights to all that footage that I'm paying for? And I'm like, well, that's something that we need to talk about that with, with the video crew, you know, whoever's capturing that. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, shit, am I going to have to go buy a video camera too? What else do I got to do? Yeah. Do no, it yourself. <laughs> right. So like in, in, in this instance, if you are paying somebody to either give you video or photos, it's the same concept. Mm-hmm. You need to understand what rights you have. Cause just because you paid money doesn't mean that they what's called assign their copyright to you, meaning that you are now considered the person that took the photo or took the video. So for you, Angela, you want to make sure that the contract that you're signing with them, especially if it's costing you a lot of money, is to make sure that you are the one that owns the full copyright and the, that videographer needs to come to you for a license to use the, the, the Nashville skyline in his or her videos. But if it's not like that and somebody comes along to you and is like, Angela, I love that video. Can I use that? Depending on the license that you have with your videographer, you might not be able to give that permission to them. They might have to actually go to the videographer. It's kind of like a weird, you know, because you own the copyright and you're you're kind of lending a piece of the right to somebody else. And it doesn't mean that the person that's giving that piece has the whole thing. So you that piece might not be able to allow you to give a little piece of that, break them off a piece to somebody else. So yeah, make sure that you understand if you're getting a license and if what's the scope of the license or if you're getting full copyright in whatever it is that you're, you're doing. Yeah. I kind of learned, learned that the hard way too. So, and I mean, if you've been following me for a while, you, you know this, but when I first started doing video, like I dated the guy that owned the company for years And then guess what? It's like a bad marriage when you break up. And then it's like, well, whose footage is this really? (laughs) No, I had the same thing because I mean, obviously I broke up with the wedding photographer a decade ago. Right, because now you're married. Yeah, so like I had to take everything down. But you're right. And um, and because we kind of haven't touched on this, but if I have an upcoming, well, it'll it'll be out by the time this is published, but I have a, a video addressing music as well. Oh God, so that's a whole nother thing, y'all. Yeah, so if you, it's the same concept. If you're using music or in marketing, but also if you're a DJ, if you're a videographer, or if you're a venue, if music is played at your venue, if it's in your video, or if it's, you know, you're using it as you're performing, there are copyright issues at play in that. And I have a, a new video with a really talented attorney. We go toe-to-toe on that. So to the extent that you want to talk about music, check out that video. That's a whole nother ball game. Like I could talk about that too. And again, we learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. Now there are a few websites that we have subscriptions to where we'll go and like 
by the sounds and, you know, by the little jingles, but it's crazy to me because on the phone, which this is a whole different conversation about like the TikToks and using the music and all of that. But my phone has said like, Hey, you can donate like to someone and like use this sound or the jingle or whatever it's called. And so like, I'll, it's like 99 cent y'all. It's like nothing. And then, or you can get a subscription, but then I'll go put it on Instagram or put it somewhere. And then it will mute my music mm-hmm. because yes. it's like copywritten material. And I'm like, right. but wait a minute. Yeah, I just paid getting, for it. You're paying a dollar to be able to use it on TikTok. That's the license that you you've been granted. Not just for it. one platform. Correct. I'm assuming, oh. but that's why. That's, that's probably exactly why. Y'all, this is why you need to read the fine print. <laughs> yeah, always read that fine print. Like even with me, like I'm, I try to run a tight ship. So like any music that I use on my videos or on my podcast, I've either, I've grew up with a guy that made it and I have a license from him or I just make it myself because I'm, I had the ability to do that. But like, I don't even fool with that because I, I'm, yeah. Even as an attorney, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't want to get the thing on my door and they mess up my windows and I got to go, you know, downtown the courthouse. I don't want that if, if I'm going to be the party to the lawsuit. That's right. You were in a band, so you can just like make your own music. Yeah. But for those of us who are not musically inclined, like see, I'm just... not visually inclined. So like I, I can't, my website looks like crap and like my videos are terrible, but like the, the music is good. It's all about the music guys. <laughs> music feeds the soul. That's right. This was so much fun. It was so much fun to catch up with you. If people want to find you, what's your, like, is your favorite platform now YouTube? Like, where would you I, like for people to connect? I think that going to YouTube, typing in wedding industry law on YouTube, because I don't think I have a direct URL yet. Uh, wedding industry law on YouTube. I'll be there. I'm at wedding lawyer on Instagram and I'm at wedding lawyer on clubhouse. That's where awesome. I'm at. Yeah. Oh yeah. We haven't talked about clubhouse too much. I'm, I've been on it a few times, but I'm like, it's another thing. <laughs> Man, it's, dude, it's like, it's blown up, dude. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. You got to get on there. It's good stuff. I'm just so much more like a video person. And then I'm like, I already have my podcast with audio. There is one guy I was on his podcast the other day and he had a, a fancy board and he's like, and we're broadcasting live on podcast po- uh, clubhouse too. And I'm like, Oh, I need to get that board. So, you know, you can just like do it once and then it goes everywhere. So that's coming. It's coming. So everybody listening, thank you so much for listening. Or if you're watching, thank you so much for watching and be sure to tune in next week to another episode of Business Unveiled. Bye y'all. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done. Would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights. And I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.